Welcome to Main Street Mesa, where we discuss issues around building a more human, people-centered community in Mesa, Arizona, and other communities like it. I'm Ryan Wozniak. I'm David Crummy. Thank you for joining us for our eighth podcast and our seventh in our book club. I'm glad you made it this long with us, and I hope that you're enjoying this episode. Da-da-da-da. Step six, welcome bikes. And step seven, shape the streets. Pages 189 to 222 in the 13 first paperback edition of, the, of this book, Walkable City. But first, letters. Letters. Uh, so we don't have any direct letters to us via the email, as far as I know. But uh, we do have some Facebook activity to talk about. We got a kudos uh, from Luis yeah. uh, on the Facebook page. So thanks, Louis, for the good, uh, nice... And I want to pull his comments in later on when we're talking about bike lanes, because this is the bike episode. Yeah, so we won't dive into that detail right now, but it certainly is perfect for today's episode. Keep on posting on Facebook and uh, stalk us wherever we may find uh, our comments. (laughs) Comments are great. We really appreciate it. That's that's kind of the modern day letter. It's no more like, Dear Main Street Mason. It is. Hey, guys! No formal memos required. So if you do want to send us a letter, MainStreetMesa at gmail.com, and of course, comment on Facebook or Tumblr. And for the brave, still yet to have one person. Record your voice, any message, you will be featured on the show. Guaranteed. With us today is Jim Hatch. Hey, Jim. Hey. <laughs> How about you tell us a little bit about yourself, Jim? Uh, see, so I am the Bicycle and Pedestrian Program Manager for the City of Mesa. I've been in the position for nine and a half years now, uh, and during my tenure there, I've also, I also serve as the Chair of the Regional Bicycle and Pedestrian Committee uh, with the Maricopa Association of Governments. I am the current Chair of APBP Arizona, which is the Association for Pedestrian and Bicycle Professionals, Arizona chapter and uh, uh, just a, a cycling and, and walking enthusiast that, that uh, hopes to make a Mesa a, a, a great place to live uh, for folks that want to leave their cars behind and, and move through life in a more comfortable rate of speed. That's cool. How many bikes do you own? Uh, see, I've been thin in the herd. So uh, I just herd. sold my Brompton. Uh, I think in, in, my, in my, I have nine right now. It's a lot. Yeah. You, you tend to, you know, I like that one. I like something about that. You end up, but I always have that one bike that I go back to, and it's the most comfortable bike. And the one that you see that I ride with you guys on the slow rides, and, and it's just it's the, the comfy, uh, slow-speed bike. The, and the I, Barco lounger of a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hear you are recently moved to our neighborhood. I am. Down to I'm, Main Street Mesa. I moved out of Gilbert. <laughs> I lived over at, uh, I, I currently live over at uh, Pecos and Higley, and we just bought a 1952 mid Tree Ranch uh, at uh, Pepper Place and Horn, so just half a block off of uh, Main Street, uh, right there by El Rancho Apartments, right downtown. Looking forward to living the urban lifestyle, and, and, uh, and my wife and I both plan on being pretty much car-free. Awesome. That's pretty exciting, and uh, we are Main Street Mesa, and uh, we do love downtown, and there's no better place. We have such an incredible variety of places to live, and you can live in a 
sprawling ranch house. He could live in a little tiny little bungalow cottage, urban apartment, all sorts of cool stuff. And Ryan just lives far away. No, <laughs> I am within the bike shed of downtown Mesa, thankfully. That's one of my favorite bike rides. For sure. I was hoping that you could maybe tell us a little bit about what inspired you to take on this uh, planning venture, if there's been any heroes along the way. Well, I grew up on a bicycle. I've been bicycling ever since I was, you know, pretty much able to walk. Uh, my family is all uh, cycling enthusiasts. And so when I when I came across the uh, opportunity to, be, to become the, the uh, bicycle and pedestrian program manager, it was really my bliss job that I that I that I got to take. It's it's I actually don't go to work. I, mm -hmm. I go, you know, to the office to to do what I truly am passionate about. Uh, I've picked up quite a few um, cycling, you know, folks along the way, you know, mentors and, and those types of things back from the early days when I when I was racing and, and you know, everyone was a, a Lance Armstrong fan and then we all were Dutch, you know, the Crushed, crashed it, it, <laughs> in the in the heap of, of that, and but the probably the fo the 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 man that that I connected with early on in, in my career here uh, is Mr. Andy Clark, and he was the president of the League of American Bicyclists, and him and I met at the bike summit uh, a number of years back, and uh, he and I hit it off, and we tend to speak a lot, and he's now left the league, and he's moved on. He's with Tool, um, uh, a consultant that's out there doing really good things in, in, in communities around the, in the nation. And if, if I can model myself after him and be, be the advocate and the uh, instrument for, for the residents of Mesa to, to work and create a better multimodal system, then, then I'll be doing my job here. Awesome. Well, cool. There we go. Now yeah. we got a book. Yeah, now we can uh, segue into the book. Now that you know who you're talking to, and now that you know that like there's really cool people who live downtown and you want to live closer to Jim, like, these are all good reasons to come be part of Downtown Mesa. <laughs> so, class, please turn your books to page 189 <laughs> in your text. Mm -hmm. Step six, welcome bikes. Welcome bikes. Well, for us e-readers, 45% way into it, I like... As bike lanes have been added along New York's avenues, injuries to pedestrians have dropped by a third. Indeed, on Broadway, on 9th Avenue, reported accidents and injuries to all users were cut in half, outpacing even the advocate's expectations. So I think that this gets into one of those high points that you wanted to get into, right? Safety. That's right. More people biking means less people dying. Mm. Well, we hope. Conversely. <laughs> I mean, we're not experiencing that currently in the city of Mesa, but um, I think there's a learning curve that, that, that needs to take a place uh, as well, uh, not only with the, the cyclist, but, but truly the burden is on, on the motorist and, and, and law enforcement uh, stepping up their, their ability to, uh, to, to, to pull over and to cite folks for not being attentive behind the wheel of the, of the automobile. So. Do you think any of that will change with now that we have a bike patrol back? I think that it'll change. I think that the bike control, bike patrol, as small as they are, are, are doing a good job. They're they're a nice presence to have out there. As far as the actual safety of cyclists, uh, I think that the, the the that burden is going to lie on on transportation department and our ability to separate the uses. I think a lot of what 
he's talking about here is that if a community builds a culture of cycling, mm -hmm. there's a, a level where we will, with enough bicyclists, it just becomes normal and then it does become safer. Mm -hmm. So right now in Mesa, we're really seeing an incremental increase. We haven't seen the sea change, but in downtown, we're seeing so many families bringing their kids now and that's new, right. or at least in my experience. It's very new. There's a lot more to do downtown. It's become a lot more vibrant. There's a lot better, you know, uh, culture and, and just vibe in the downtown that, that's drawing a lot more folks into the downtown, which is, is a great thing for Mesa. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I know that I'm certainly keeping my eye out to the real estate event in downtown Mesa. And even though it wouldn't be that far of a move for me, it would be worthwhile. Paid for you by realtors for moving <laughs> to downtown Mesa. Um, you know, one of the other things that that I, I love um, is just the, the line, bikes are cheap, fuel is free, and it's fun. Yes. What do they say? You lose 10 pounds if you start riding your bike? According to the infographic just posted today on Facebook, the, <laughs> the average bike rider will, say, will lose 13 pounds. 13. By commuting to work, I guess, rather than car. I mean, for myself, with my hefty commute, I think I would lose more than 13, <laughs> <laughs> but I might be an outlier. <laughs> well, you might have to leave about six hours early for work, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Although, what, how many miles is it to your work? 36. 36. I've met now two or three City of Mesa employees that travel more than 20 miles mm -hmm. to work on their bike, and that is stunning. That's more, and I, we, I call them the spandex brigade. These yes. are the hardcore bikers that literally wear spandex. I don't know if those two. I call them the Lycra Warriors. Lycra Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, and they're they're an important constituent in biking. Right. But to me, or at least for this the sake of what we're looking at on Main Street, to me that's more important is families riding their right. bikes. The casual bike rider, the person that does want to ride their bike to work. And I and I feel my place in the city is to advocate and be be that voice for the for the residents that don't have a voice. And the, and the majority of that are your utilitarian riders, the folks that don't have another source of transportation, the like the like warriors, the, the the they'll always take care of themselves, and they're always they're always the ones that are the most boisterous. So they get heard a lot more than than uh, the family that's that's you know trying to get to the grocery store to get milk and eggs, or or the gentleman that's trying to get down to the to the corner so he can uh, maybe pick up some day labor and 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 have some money for the. Evening. Mm -hmm. so. I imagine that those users are also less vocal because they just don't think of it as a political uh, decision. They don't. But I think a lot of it has to do with their demographic and, and with the, you know, the, maybe the, the, there are there are uh, are silent residents. Yeah, they don't feel like they have political capital to spend. Mm -hmm. And even if they did feel like they had pl political capital to spend, I don't know if they would know to utilize it in this capacity. Exactly. I'll, I'll say most of the people that I see riding in and around my house and neighborhood are people that are wearing uniforms. Um, so this your typical blue collar worker is the one that's doing that and saving money, but money that's probably very hard to come by. Exactly. I mean, with the rising cost of, of everything that's going up right now, I mean, the worst word we're seeing uh, inflation rates rise and, and folks are, are having a harder time meeting their monthly income or monthly payments. And, and so they're having to resort to the bicycle and, and to human powered transportation. So. 
So there's this inequity issue on top of this because it is nice to go on our booze cruises and go downtown mm-hmm. and try that. Uh, and we can wait for the temperatures to drop to just the right temperature later in the evening. We can choose not to yeah. if it's not comfortable. <laughs> right. But the majority of Mesa's ridership are people that have to. That if they don't go to work, they get fired. Exactly. But we can also put in the whole idea that, you know, bikes are way more affordable. Bikes take up way less space. And they bikes move, per parking space. They move way more people. And the line was that if every American biked an hour per day instead of driving, the U.S. would cut its gasoline consumption by 38% and greenhouse gas emissions by 12%. He references the Kyoto Accord, which may be a little dated now that we have the pli- the Paris Climate Agreement, mm-hmm. if we still have that. Uh, but that's well, another. Well, the rest issue. of the world does. But <laughs> Tempe does, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so there is that portion of it, too. And then he goes on to talk about climate and how. Yeah. Is it too hot to ride bikes here? It's all a state of Miami. Is it too cold to ride a bike in Minneapolis? Because you have thousands of folks that are riding their bikes in Minneapolis all year long in. The, in Waist-deep snow. I mean, yeah. In October so. 2011, Icy Minneapolis was named America's number one bike city by Bicycling Magazine. Oh, yep. They have beautiful bike trails. They do. A lot of their bike routes don't mm-hmm. follow roads. They actually yeah. go through um, neighborhoods, forested areas. It's and, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they have a great opportunity up there because they have a great rails to trails program. We're here in the state of Arizona. All of our rail lines are still being used, so we don't have the opportunity to use those rail beds uh, to put in infrastructure and, and, and get those separated uses the, the way that, that I've noticed in, in other areas of the United States. I mean, I, I was born and raised up in, in Seattle area, and we have tons of rails to trails up there because they have abandoned the rail lines and, and have turned those into multimodals. Uh, Flagstaff has a good bike infrastructure too. They do. They have a really good route, and that just crisscrosses the town too. And their their opportunity wasn't through no, it wasn't. Rails. That's true. Their their opportunity was through greenways. You know, they they had they had done a nice job when they were setting up their city to to make sure that they were providing uh, connectivity through through public land, public space, and. It's done well that way. And so railroads don't need to necessarily abandon their lines to do some kind of trails adjacent to them. But I know that working with railroads can be a significant challenge to do something adjacent to them. Yeah, to uh, cross or across a railroad or to or to run something adjacent to uh, the the rail the railroads tend to be quite uh, um, territorial. So mm-hmm. and and and. Uh, goes back to you know you always, I always heard it when I was growing up that we were here first and this is our land and, and they, so <laughs> stay they, off yep um, so just talking about connectivity one of the things that I've noticed is fairly significant is in West Mesa especially west of downtown we have a really hard time getting east and west mm-hmm. unless you go far north or far south mm-hmm. and we also have a hard time going north and south because of the light, the the train itself, not the light rail, but the Union Pacific line. Because um, there's only, in some areas, it goes a full half mile or mile to cross the UP line, right. especially between, what is that, Alma School and Dobson. Definitely. And, and you know, we, we've been through the whole 
tenure that I've been in Mesa, we've been trying to work with the UP and 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 their stance at, at this point is that they don't allow any at grade crossings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just so detrimental to to a, a, a budget to have to put in and a, a grade differential crossing that, that it just knocks a project right out of right. you know it, it, it kills a project. So it, the the more we're able to reach out and and to change that mindset of the railroad to allow at grade crossings and and to have them cut their speeds when they're in within the city limits and mm-hmm. and, and become more of a of an urbanized uh, transportation rail transportation i think that's where we're going to have to go in order to to change that yeah and in, in their defense and i don't often speak in defense <laughs> of the railway but you know it, it is a business first mm-hmm. and foremost and that's how we move a lot of our commerce um, and then two, uh, I couldn't imagine being uh, an engineer and hitting someone. No, um, that's not a car yeah. or a person directly. It's got to be incredibly traumatic, and I know that it happens all the time across our country. So I do have a little bit of uh, a soft spot, and just you know, let's be considerate. But there's got to be a, a better way. There's got to be a great way yeah. that we can cross our So I can speak to this a little bit because I'm currently managing a bike ped project thanks to the good people over at MEG, the bike ped committee, giving us giving us an opportunity to do some design assistance uh, work. And so what that's uh, allowed me to learn about UP is, well, first off, the trains are rather tall, so you need to get to a bridge that's 32, 34 feet tall. And in order to do that on a ramp that's, meets Americans of Disabilities Act requirements, ADA, uh, that's that's a long ramp. It is a long ramp, yeah. And you're, so you're looking at quite a bit of land acquisition and structure in order to get there. So, Couldn't you go under? In, in this state, to, to go under is even more expensive than to go over with the with the amount of caliche we have and and, the, and our soil content in the state. Even of just for a pedestrian path or a bike path? By itself not a full road so the the engineering that's kind of been briefly looked into and not not too extensively for the project that I'm managing it's the the amount of engineering to support track uh, even across a 10-foot span is uh, something that could kill you and even with with property acquisition it's still cheaper to acquire property than it is to go under in my particular situation, that I, the project that I'm be. managing, it would be. If it's available, the, at what point do how far do you want to push it? Do you want do you want that municipality or or that that jurisdiction to go in and do, you know, take that property away from the landowner? You mm-hmm. want them to do that? And that's not something that that we like to do in the city of Mesa. We try Generally. to stay away from from that. So. Eminent domain. Eminent domain. Yes. Fun times. <laughs> One of the other things that I found interesting is that less than 1% of Portland's transportation budget, bringing back Portland, we talked about it a few chapters ago, uh, one mile of freeway was about 50 million. They built 275 bikeways. Spending 1% of transportation funds on a network serving 8% of commuters sounds like a good deal. Sounds um, like Jeff Speck. It does. <laughs> well, I, I'm all about economy, right? Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Building things better or building things smarter. Smarter. Yes. And fiscally responsible to our taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that is a nonpartisan uh, winning uh, proposition. Right. So so we, we took a look at the budget for City of Mesa. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh, and somewhere in here. So our proposed budget next year for transportation, including transit, was $117 million in transportation costs. What percentage of that is uh, ongoing um, towards bike and pedestrian infrastructure? Well, the target is 10% of the overall transportation. Target is 10%. The, tar the target is 10%. Target now, set by? That means, huh? oh. The target is set by? Uh, myself, yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and the and the folks that I that I work with, but uh, those targets don't always get met. So. so where do you think we are looking at next year, not counting the CIP, which we'll talk about uh, in a bit, but just talking about annual uh, expenditures? I think, think we're, we're probably close to, to I, I think we reach up there with our restriping projects and when we're out there uh, putting in bicycle and enhanced pedestrian facilities when we do uh, reconstructs on roads or do overlays, slurry seals, that type of thing. We're probably about 8%. 8%? Yeah. So we're, we're actually... And we're doing okay. Yeah. We're doing all right. Mace is huge. It is. We remember. It is 133 square miles. Yeah, so. somewhere around there. I, yeah. Somewhere between 125 and 135 is mm -hmm. uh, the number that I use randomly. I pick a number randomly. <laughs> Just pick one in there. Anywhere and then in there. the CIP, the next five years, 2017 through 2022, we are looking at about 95 million in transportation only, not counting transit. Right. What are we looking at for? And the majority of those, I mean, if you if you take it in context, your your normal, say intersection. Let's say we're gonna like we're gonna go in here shortly and redo the intersection of Broadway and Mesa Drive. That's a twenty million dollar project. So I mean, there's a lot of money, a lot more money, and a lot more engineering and 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 infrastructure that needs to go into that than a lot of people think of just going in there and you know milling the, and, and, right. and putting in new asphalt. So it's quite expensive. We can put in a lot more bike facilities than we can car um, facilities for the, for the same amount of money. Uh, but we're also at the, uh, we have to deal with political will as well. And, mm -hmm. and, and the constituents are out there and the majority of the constituents for each one of the council people within our city are, are automobile drivers, they're not cyclists. So. Just to tie into the CIP and bond money mm -hmm. is we're about to finish our stadium connector yes. project, which I believe is, is that our biggest bicycle infrastructure project ever? It is. That's three and a half miles. Three and a half mm -hmm. miles. And that is also, will include, is it the Valley's first cycle track? Cycle track? Yes, it is. Hmm. That's pretty amazing. It is amazing, isn't it? That's, so, yeah. Where where does the stadium connector come from? Where does it go? Well, when we were uh, in the process of, of writing the bicycle master plan back in 2012, like you had spoke about earlier, the major disconnect and what we heard the most from 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 the public was that they were having a hard time getting from uh, downtown Mesa anywhere to the west. And, and beyond. That was their major disconnect. There wasn't any real connectivity points. There wasn't a lot of infrastructure. And so we knew when we sat down and started mapping out uh, and talking to, to public groups that, that we needed to provide that access. Uh, we also wanted to be able to provide access through the 101-202 
interchange. So uh, with that came the Rio Salado project. We, we teamed with the, the, I mean, it was the Army Corps of Engineers, it was the city of Tempe, the city of Mesa, ADOT, uh, Maricopa County Flood Control. Uh, there was a lot of agencies that were involved in that process to create that, what I call an iconic connection. And, uh, and it's pretty much the, the major connection between the Southeast Valley and, and beyond. So uh, with that, we knew that once we terminated that, that Rio Salado pathway along the Salt River, that we would need to continue that. And, and first we looked about, we looked at continuing up the Salt River along the, the 202 frontage, but there was a private property concerned, you know, and, and things that-, that Through were, the country club? No, uh, through the, the quarry that's down there. The, the oh, yes, quarry. yes, yes. That's mm -hmm. the, they, they own the majority of that land that's butted up right against. So there's, not, there's no right of way uh, past the freeway. So we had to go along the SRP canal it would have just continued straight along the bank of the Salt River. Um, that basically the quarry sits in. Well, the, the, oh yes, yes, yeah, it sits in the in the Salt River. So, right. and so when we decided that that was a fatal flaw, we weren't going to be able to move that way. We decided that the best avenue would be to create the stadium connector, which originally started out as the West Mesa connector, is what it was called. We've renamed it the Stadium Connector because we're trying to connect, you know, A's Stadium at Hohokam to Sloan Field and the, and the Cubs ballpark. So. Yeah, it helps to create some identifiable. It is. Like, yeah. It's good name points. Catchy. Yeah, and it so is. and so where where did the route land today? The the Stadium Connector. So the Stadium Connector picks up at the terminus of the Rio Salado, so right in front of Bass Pro Shop. Uh, on Dobson Road, and it travels along the north side of Bass Pro and Riverview uh, along what's called the Tempe Drain. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes over to Alma School, where we've actually taken a northbound lane on Alma School and created a two-way cycle track. So we took a lane of traffic away from our motoring public, and and um, we've it's it's been a it's been an interesting um, process and and people are are finally kind of um, okay with it. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of opposition to begin with. I, I can bet, especially that neighborhood there. Is it 10th Street that we go down? It's 10th Street that we go down. So that, that one is notoriously a very active neighborhood. They are. They're 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 an active neighborhood. They care a lot about their neighborhood, and I I'm all about that. So they do. Uh, I know and it they is wanted, a great neighborhood. They wanted the street calming in there. They, they, it was a definite cut through uh, for folks that didn't want to travel on the real Salado Parkway. Um, so they 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 knew that they needed to to do something. They wanted uh, complete seclusion. Uh, they wanted to put in uh, cul-de-sacs at each end of 10th Street and actually close it off. But uh, that was just the residents of 10th Street. Mm -hmm. The residents just outside of 10th Street weren't so keen on that. <laughs> so so uh, the, a compromise was made and we put in uh, a, a bike dominant uh, residential street with a lot of street calming and, and uh, hopefully, uh, and we've already seen evidence that, that, that 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 traffic has diverted on to different areas. So I think that's fantastic, and it connects over to the Mesa Grande. So once we get over to Mesa Grande and uh, Date slash Brown Road, we take a, a a left and head back to the to the north uh, in a, a, again a cycle track. We turn uh, left on Country Club uh, and and continue down to uh, pick up the Crosscut Canal again there at, at at Country Club and right about the south border of the of the mesa country and how much did this end up costing uh we 
this this um, project was came in right at eight million dollars. So compared to redoing a intersection at twenty million dollars. Yeah, we have three and a half miles of viable, all ages, all abilities, comfortable away, separated from traffic, multimodal transportation, and for a fraction of the cost of a $20 million intersection project. And it's not a small project. I no, mean, it's not. It's not, a, it's not a small project at all. So. And I also like how the bike separated path has been designed to also bring in some fresh landscaping into the Alma School uh, yes. section. It was tree section. some plants and trees yeah. going on there. Yeah. I, I think that's very important. And I think actually, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff talks about that in the book with the you know, uh, a walk or a, or a ride to be satisfying has to have four components. It has to be useful, has to be safe, has to be comfortable, and has to be interesting. So if you just put in the facility and you don't put in anything that's going to create a visual, uh, just a, a, a pleasurable visual experience, right. then folks aren't gonna aren't gonna want to use that facility as much. Well, as as a resident who lives really close to Alma School, right next to that, or really close to that cycle track, I certainly appreciate well, it. That's awesome. Um, so, no, I'm yeah. I'm excited to bring the kids from from our house down to yeah. Riverview and try it out and and do that. So, and, and I will actually be able to see if it's good enough for an eight year old. So, yeah. and as, good. And, and I want to know. So, and, and eventually, in about five years, I will have an eight year old, which I will be happy to <laughs> test as well. Yep. Um, question: Do you know what the current mode share is for Mesa for oh, bikes? I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, we're set okay. right about one percent. One percent. Yeah. I meant to look it up. And I think I think I we did. fell actually point nine percent. Two point nine. Yeah. yeah. When the gas prices took a dive yeah. back down, mode share took a dive with it. So. Across the country. Yeah. That was a big thing. So, I mean, that, that is one of those things that we don't know what gas prices are going to look like right. in the future. They seem to be all right right now, but whether or not we're in a peak oil world, like, um, was it Kunstler? Mm, yeah. He's Howard Kunstler. He's an interesting guy. He is. He's a little all over the map. He's not your typical urban planning uh, thinker. But um, so to that note, though, I, I did look up this statistic because it was very interesting to see how much progress Portland had made by investing in, in bicycle infrastructure. So from 1993 to 2008, there was a significant jump from the only 1% of Portlanders biking to the 8% that they have today, right? Or 7%, whichever it was. And so I did try to see if uh, that trend had continued until today, but... A lot like other cities across the nation, it's kind of flatlined uh, based on gas prices and, and things of that nature. And I also think that Portland's seeing a, a lot of growth right now. And so the article that I found was actually published in a, a Portland newspaper, and they had interviewed the folks of TriMet, who are the transit uh, folks out there in Portland, and they're just having a hard time even keeping bus services reliable based on the amount of additional congestion that they're seeing on the automotive side. And also, visiting Portland recently, it was very interesting seeing the, the competition between the buses and the bike lanes, and how the buses would even actually have to stop and wait for the flood of bicyclists to go by on the bike lane to, before they could get over to the 
the shoulder uh, to pick up folks at the bus stop. So all these kind of things were kind of running through my mind as I was trying to uh, get a sense of where Portland's gone from the date that Jeff Speck wrote this book to today. And um, so, yeah, kind of flatlined, kind of like what we're seeing here in Mesa. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. But Portland just finished, I guess, a couple of years ago, a bridge that is just light rail and, and bicyclists, bicyclists, yeah. and walking. Yeah, but uh, like that that's incredible. It's incredible, and it's beautiful too. On top of that, and then you know, I I've had a few friends that have lived in Portland, and most of them are actually car free. So that might also, you know, that eight percent, you know, in in Mesa, one percent. A portion of those might be car free, mm-hmm. but you know, a portion, the same portion in Portland would be a lot more people. Mm-hmm. The average age of a Portland bicyclist, 36. I thought that was an interesting stat that was thrown out there. Uh, so, not the. But they're still not Davis, California. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a misconception. I mean, <laughs> when we talk about uh, the greatest, you know, the one, two of the greatest cities in the state of Arizona with regards to mode split are college towns mm-hmm. and that that has got a built-in user base yep. that that rely on bicycles right. so uh the other municipal the other jurisdictions around will never be able to compete with the mode splits that that college davis or tempe or Tucson, colorado florida right florida flagstaff yes same thing oh very good all right what else you got bad bikers what Hey, so, I'm biking here. So one of <laughs> the things reminds that, me of Portlandia. <laughs> so one of the things that I hear all the time, especially from people who drive, is, "Man, those bicyclists are just unsafe." And I'm going to kill somebody someday. I don't, I don't, I don't quite get that. It's not my fault. But I hear it constantly, and I'm, I'm sure Jim, you hear it way more than I do. We do, I, and I teach to that fact actually in our in our monthly education classes that we hold. Is that I'm 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 always trying to you know to make sure that I am instilling in our biking community to be good ambassadors out there, because Arizona in general is such a car centric society. A lot of people that are in cars don't think that bicycles belong on the road. So there's that rub. So you have a, a, a motorist that's, that's agitated because the bicyclist is riding. Uh, the bicyclist may not be as educated as, he sh- as they should be, but they're trying to, trying to ride their bike. So then all of a sudden they become agitated. They, put a, they have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, I've ridden, I've had a chip on my shoulder before when I've ridden. It's hard not to when, when, when um, you're mistreated and, and all you're doing is trying to make it from point A to point B. I, I think that if if we are consistent in our teaching of the public on how on education, on safety, and to be out there doing the exact same thing every time in a consistent manner, then that's going to take that agitation away from the driver. And I think that's where we need to do. I mean, if you think about bicyclists, I, think about your first experience on a bicycle. Eight years old, seven, eight, nine years old is your first big jolt of freedom you got to get on your bike and ride away from your parents and see ya i mean and in so, my case run into a garbage can yeah, into a, yeah. <laughs> but i mean i think that a lot of people they get back on a bicycle even in their 50s and and that whole set of emotions floods back into you you become a 
an eight-year-old again. And you want to jump curbs and you want to dart out in front of traffic and you want to go in in, in between parked cars. And, and, and when you're doing that, you're, you're creating a lot of discontent and a lot of unknown for the automobile driver that's trying to make sure he's not going to hit you. So. And so this ties in with the concept that he brings in called vehicular cycling. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you've touched on that a little bit and the idea of claiming the lane and driving your riding your bicycle like your car yes um, and I know that that's taught a lot that way but I feel really uncomfortable teaching that to my kids mostly because our speed limits in the streets that are around us are 45 miles an hour and that just seems like a death sentence it is I mean if, if you look at the natural at the national stats uh, as you progress through those speed limits from 25 to 35 to 45 the the, it's exponential how the how the death rate goes up. If you're if you are struck by a vehicle, your your chance of of not being with us any longer is a lot higher. And so. and never mind. I feel like I would be impeding traffic, and I I don't want to do that when I'm riding my bike. I want to get from point A to point B without hassling someone else or being hassled. Exactly. And you know I I've met and I've conversed with a lot of 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 folks from. Copenhagen from Amsterdam and and they they actually think that we're just out of our minds for putting bike lanes on arterial streets you know in in Europe if it's a high speed high volume street it's for cars bikes don't go on they, they separate the use they put the bike in it in a, in a different location so one of our problems though in Mesa especially is we don't have streets that connect anywhere that aren't high-speed, high-capacity arterial streets. Right. I mean, we, I think we, I, I always try to, to impose that we, be, we need to be making better use of our collector streets. If we use our mid, mid you know, our, our half-mile collectors in between those arterials, it's a, we have a beautiful grid system in, this, in the city of Mesa. There's always going to be good connectivity due to that grid system. But why do we need to to shove all the uses on the same street. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what we're talking about uh, right now on, on Main Street with, with light rail. Part of that, I think, ties back to in around downtown, especially west of downtown, we don't have those half-mile streets. Um, Except north and south. Well, well, I mean, once you get the, the you railroads, eight, you don't. You have 8th Street. You have 8th Avenue. You have, That's you too know. far. If I'm looking to get to and from Main Street, Oh, and I'm gonna okay. go. I'm not gonna go a mile out of my way to go to eighth. Go to the eighths. Mm -hmm. Just you know, if I'm going from, oh, let's say I'm at Alma School in Maine, and I want to go to grab a beer at Oro. Right. I can't take first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, university, <laughs> and then I'm at eighth, and then I'm at Rio all the way. You know, I'm all the way out of the way, and the only right. and so the only safe route is Main Street. From my house, mm -hmm. for example, um, and when we go with our kids, I have the kids ride on the sidewalk, even with a bike lane. I'm not comfortable with them riding in a bike lane, and, and that's exactly and, that, and that's 35 teach. mile an hour. I mean, that's exactly what we teach. I don't think that the that anyone under the age of 10 really has the cognizant ability to ride in traffic. They do. They need to be on the sidewalk, mm -hmm. and and that's one of the things that I'm advocating the most for in the downtown. I know that we have a you know a prohibition on being able to ride your bicycle on the sidewalk, and and I think that that was fine when we had the bike lanes on Main Street, but not 
we go, it goes back to that all ages and abilities thing again. Not everyone's going to be comfortable riding in a Sharrow on Main Street, especially with their family. So we need to separate those uses. And 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 my only my only way to mitigate that at this point is to put those uses on First Avenue and First Street, right? And move them off of Main Street. We have great. Uh, uh, Entrances to all the stores in the back of the buildings. So there, there's not going to be uh, You're not going to miss out on, on being or able to get maybe to it's even the alleyway actually or the alleyway is a would be a great and 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 what I what I try to instill in the business owners is that's opening up a whole Another side of your business mm -hmm. because if you start, you know, if, if the front of your store on Main Street is is so important and you're and you're wanting that that traffic to to draw customers in if you add that on the back and you have multimodal traffic back there you're you're doubling your business yeah and, and then they're at a slower speed so they they can make their mind up to stop a lot easier than a, than a car can and have to find parking and with as much parking as there is rear of the buildings it's not like there's not entranceways back there anyway so it makes a lot of sense to, to utilize the alley. So this is this is one of those things. This is uh, Louis' comment. This has been a comment for four years now that I keep hearing. You know, with the loss of bike lanes on Main Street between Country Club and Mesa Drive. Although I care less about Center to Mesa Drive because it's perfectly safe and fine to ride on the sidewalk there. Mm -hmm. But between Country Club and Center, you can't ride on the bike the sidewalk one because it's illegal. But two, because it's congested, right? And it's it's not safe. And that's the reason it is illegal. I mean, mm -hmm. no, and it make it with makes the number good of sense. outdoor patios and people, you know, servers bringing food out to, to, to um, customers that it's it needs to be a dismount point. Yeah. So we we had talked in a previous episode about why it doesn't make sense to remove cars from on street parking from the on street parking. Um, one of the so we've been talking about the idea of actually just moving the curb back to allow a full bike lane. Jeff Speck in this I, I'm interested. I, I did not hear that part, and I don't tend to agree with you on... I, I on didn't say it was a good idea or not. I just... On uh, well, no, that had been discussed, and, yeah. mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that was called, just get rid of the cars and put in a bike lane. Um, and in the last chapters, we learned why that's a bad idea. And then in this he has chapter, a couple arguments. He has we'll, a few. Quick, we'll quickly go over those highlights. Protecting the sidewalk with the big steel ton things that are parked there. And secondly, the economic detriment of what that costs to the businesses right. uh, by removing it. There's actually, it seems to be an economic uh, incentive for having on street parking for businesses that's observed. So those are, I think, the two main points of his argument. Um, and then, so in here, we he actually talked about avoiding bike lanes in downtowns like ours as well because of the unattractiveness of uh, the pylons and things like that and the idea that the down a downtown like main street should be about being there and not going through although at the same time i really have an issue there because it's not a very pedestrian i don't mind riding my bike and taking a lane on main street but when I'm with my family, I can't, unless we're with a big group. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. There's got to be somewhere in the middle. Someone said, well, why don't we just move, or uh, I think it was Louis said, why don't we just move the... Between the, the on-street parking and the storefronts, there's enough room on the sidewalk to allow for... To move space. Way. One, that's going to be really expensive. Yes. And 
two, I wonder if that detracts from the sidewalk. Right. And I would also it, wonder if that's context, like the amount of sidewalk that we have on Main Street seems to be appropriate for the type of walkability that we're seeking there. So to narrow that down by five, six feet might be a bit aggressive. It's very appropriate. And what we're trying to create downtown, we're trying we're trying to create a sense of place. We're trying to create a, a place where we're where our residents want to come and they want to congregate and they want to be, feel like they're part of the community. And if we were to dissect that in half by and put in a, a bicycle facility that just could, could just as easily be put to the rear of the building, I, I you're, ta you're also taking away uh, patio space for restaurants that want to come in and, 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 and set up a business. In Which we learned in well. an earlier chapter why that's so important. It is oh. that that sense of that sense of place and that and that um, making folks want to hang out and and converse. I mean, that's what that's what our our society, you know, twentieth twenty first century has really missed is is we're in cars, we're segregated from each other. You know, we we have anonymity. We can have road rage. No one's going to really be able to get to us. Where when you meet when you visit these. Uh, older cities, especially on the East Coast, people are, they know each other, they talk each other, they stop, they converse, it, it creates a healthier community and creates a, a better place for uh, people to be able to, to live and to work and to play all in the same spot. Social capital. Social capital. Yeah. So how do we get from Main Street to the alleys safely on our bike? Yeah, is it well demarcated at the moment? Uh, I don't Really it is not. We, we're actually working on a plan right now to create a really good wayfinding and, um, and, and move those uses off to the, to the First Avenue and First Street in that downtown area because we realize that, that it's an issue. I, I was a, a opponent of it when it was going in and now uh, am having to try to mitigate it on mm -hmm. the back end. So, so one, of the, one of the crazy ideas I've had because ah, I'm an expert. Let's get to your crazy ideas. Yeah, I love my crazy ideas. Mm. And this is, hey, it's our podcast, so I get to. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> the, so I was looking at it, and uh, NACTO, I think, allows on one-way streets to have a left-sided bike lane mm -hmm. on the left yeah. side of the lane. Counterflow lane. No, it would be with traffic. With, oh, with, with traffic. traffic. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you were saying. Um, okay. So on up, up against the guideway of the So of the looking rail. at that, so I went out and measured because that's how I roll. And we have five feet between the guideway and the lane. Um, and at intersections, that becomes a five-foot planner. Mm -hmm. But in between intersections, it's a complete just tarred black. It's got a double, double yellow. It's got tarmac. And then it's got rumble strips. And then, and then you hit the rumble strips, mm -hmm. the, the please don't drive into our train divots. Yes. Warning. Um, would that be a, a good solution? Because that gets a bike out of the way of cars. It keeps them out of the door zone. And it also, um, it also allows cars to pass. You know, we have 25 miles an hour, but I'm not riding 25 miles an hour right now. Uh, maybe in the future, downhill, behind a bus. Um, After a cup of coffee. Right. Sketch but, you know, I mean, would that be possible, or is Valley Metro suddenly freak out that we've got a bike oh, they, they would definitely, five feet from there? I mean, 
They don't mind a car. Let me, five let me pose the question right back to you. Would you feel comfortable taking your eight-year-old on that? Great question. Mm. But maybe I'm looking for the middle way because I think First Avenue and First Street's too far to go out of the way on your bike. I think the alleys are good middle ground, but I would still like to see bikes stay on Main Street. Mm-hmm. But what's, where's, where's the other middle ground? I don't think moving the curb makes economic sense. I'd much rather put the tens of millions of dollars that that would cost to do something else mm-hmm. with. I don't like the idea of bikes missing from Main Street. I've learned that sharrows are terrible. I hate sharrows now. But where, where's our middle ground? And that's the million-dollar question, and the one we're battling with every day um, when we look at Main Street. And we haven't figured it out yet. And to, to be honest, we just haven't figured it out yet. Although Jeff Speck doesn't hate sharrows in 25-mile-an-hour, 25-mile-per-hour zones. If people were going 25 miles an hour on Main Street, it wouldn't be a problem. Well, it still would be a problem. I, I don't like Sharrows anymore. I, I don't think that they work. Um, they've killed people on Central Avenue, but that's a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. Mm-hmm. And downtown Mesa, it's not ideal unless you have a few people or you're comfortable. Right. Um, most people are riding on the sidewalks right now, and that's a danger to our business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe if we can make a good-looking path to get to the alleys, but the alleys only exist really between Robeson and... Let's see. Pepper. We could make it go all the way from Robeson to center, mm-hmm. but a little broken up on one side. North side, it makes it all the way. South side, it doesn't. You're also missing all the cool people hanging out on the, the streetscape. And that so. sense of place, right. And that sense of community, you're, you're disengaged from that. So how, you know, this, this is my question to keep at and asking myself. I was like, well, maybe we have to do it three or four different ways to, to fix what we did. I don't know if there was really... Well, maybe if to do it again, we probably, my opinion would be to move the car lane closer to the rail where it is in some places, have the travel lane there, and then you have enough space. It's in the door zone. But most of the time you can take the lane and then go back to the bike lane when the car's coming because the traffic that's going through downtown is less than the traffic that's going to downtown. And the traffic that's going to downtown isn't a conflict with bikes. It's the traffic that's going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we need to create a threshold where it's no longer comfortable for that through traffic to drive Main Street. And then they move to Broadway to or University. Or the first. Or the first. And, and, and move away from that with slower speeds. And if, I think that the, the way to do that is to put more bikes on Main Street, lower the speed limits even more, or even go to a, to a, to a car-free zone in the downtown. I mean, I was just in Memphis, Tennessee at, at a conference, and their Main Street has no cars on it. Yeah. It's the we trolley. learned in an early episode. That's a step too far. That, that was a step too far. <laughs> Unless you have the density yeah. to support it. I was going to say that that, 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 plaza, that plaza that I was, it, it was packed with people yeah. all the time. And what, what it said is that most Communities don't have the density for that to yes, be successful, yeah. but there are notable exceptions. We're about to see what no cars are going to do here in 2019 when Oslo goes car-free in their entire city. Whoa. That's going to be crazy. Yes. It's a beautiful town, though. It is. Been there. Have you been? Um, no, but I want to go in 2019. You should go in yeah. 2019. We should all go in 2019. 2019 field trip. Everybody's invited. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. One thing I wanted to touch on uh, is bike share. Yes. How's it doing in Mesa? It's uh, it's doing okay. It's uh, it, it's been a it's been a learning experience. We've been learning as I go. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of mishaps. We've had a lot of um, things that we've changed, but uh, it's been well recepted. Uh, uh, it's being used. It it definitely is uh, trends with the seasons on when it's used and when it's not. A lot of people, again, it's so hot outside, no one wants to get out there right. and ride. Uh, they certainly don't want to sit on a seat that's been sitting in the sun for a day. So uh, we're not where we want to be, but every month we see improvement on bike share. What, what kind of rider would you say is the, the bike share rider? Typically in the demographic of a, of a bike share person is a young professional um, in that creative class of between the ages of 25 and 35 years old. Uh, you know, and, and they're utilizing it to move throughout, you know, to different places to uh, go to meetings and those types of things. What we've tried to do in the city of Mesa and what was really important to, to Scott Smith, our previous mayor, was that we that we subsidize uh, bike share and we make it available to social services. And that was what's really important to the city of Mesa. So what we've done is we've, we've allocated uh, $75,000 a year that goes uh, towards paying for bike share for New Leaf, for Save the Family, for DHS, for those. So when if, if, if a person comes into their facility, into their social service, and let's say they need to make it to a doctor's appointment, they, could be able, they would be able to get a bike share card from that agency and utilize that bike share to go. Is it mostly a linear system along Main Street? It is. When, when bike share first came about, I actually did a, a white paper on it, and I, and I, was, I was against bike share. I didn't think that we had the density to support bike share in the city of Mesa. The only way that I said it would be conceivable to have bike share be sustainable is if we utilized bike share along the spine of the light rail and we utilized bike share to increase that catchment area of folks going to right. And that seems like it would be a, a last mile solution. It right? is. So, do we have stations like a mile off of Main Street to help complement the stations? And that's part of that learning curve that I'm talking about. Right now, I'm working with a grid, and what we're doing is we're reducing the number of bikes at each one of the stations because what I've what I've observed is the majority of our stations are at destinations. We're we're missing that whole origin side of the house so we're reducing the number of racks and the number of bikes at each one of the stations and we're taking that that surplus of bicycles and we're going to plug them in into the neighborhoods farther out so when folks come out of their house they have a bike share station in front of them that gives them a, another choice instead of getting in their car perfect a lot of the i'm surprised because i'm seeing i'm sort of seeing two just observing i'm seeing two riders especially in the downtown I'm seeing pleasure riders in the evening, borrowing a bike and riding through the historic neighborhoods and just hanging out, um, at least from my, you know, usually a couple, two, three people hanging around, just enjoying downtown. Uh, that's one. And then the other looks like a commuter, you know, sort of uh, maybe young professional, uh, usually a 20 something in uh, professional clothing, intently going somewhere. Those, those are the two main grid riders I'm seeing in downtown which is different from what I see in Tempe in Phoenix. But Mesa is a very different animal because we don't have as many professionals in the downtown because our jobs are not downtown Exactly. as many. The majority of them work in downtown Phoenix and in, in those areas. So The moral of the story is that everyone has to compromise if our cities are going to be any good and also if they're going to be affordable.
That's a great quote. I love that. And that might actually be a good way to end that section. Be it that we're at an hour, and we did say that we were going to cover step seven, and the fact that our next podcast is actually kind of light. Ten pages. We could hold that over. Would you be willing to shift step seven until next? Last episode, we covered too much. All right. So I think we're, we're so if there. if that doesn't disappoint you guys too badly, we're going to cut it off here. And if you are disappointed, then uh, just reread Step 7 for yourself and, and let us know what you think. Oh, I thought you were going to say you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> we're doubling the price for the next episode. Uh, is there any last comments or thoughts on this section about biking and bi- biking in Mesa, about where we're going? Well, I didn't see a section about like putting – uh, trading cards in the spokes and that was really disappointing because you want to be able to do that for the eight-year-olds i i like the new lights that go on your spokes that you can print stuff on definitely oh, that comes with pictures cool. and, yeah, and the fries electronics had some cheap ones that i'm gonna go try they're nice ones that were really expensive but so any uh, any last uh safety tips uh for folks out there i know that you always have to be a good advocate for uh, this kind of stuff. So let's give you the last word, Jim. Please impose on folks out there. Ride on the right. Ride with traffic. Don't ride against traffic. No salmoning. You're yes. not a salmon. <laughs> the majority of our accidents in the city that we're seeing are from wrong way riders and bike lanes. So, and then of course your right hook, which is your worst mm. accident. So. We love you. You're beautiful, <laughs> and we want point. you around. So please, please ride on the right. Not and, like the Boy Scouts taught you, but yeah. like you're supposed to learn. And if, and if you're riding your bike, it's a good chance that you're in good shape. So, yeah, keep it up. And if you're just starting <laughs> to ride your bike and you want to refresh your class in education, we hold them every month at each one of the uh, libraries throughout the city of Mesa. So go to the city of Mesa library page, and you can sign up for one of our classes. And if you set through my boring one-hour speech, you get a free helmet and lights and lock and vest and all kinds of different goodies. Holla! Yo! All right. That's all we have for today. Join us on Facebook or Tumblr at Main Street Mesa. Email your comments to mainstmesa at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. It's been fun been fun make sure you rate us apparently that gets us to more people if you rate us yeah we're currently averaging about 40 downloads per episode but we can do better four stars or better five (laughs) nine nine stars every episode yeah so we're we're, spread the word so we want to thank you jim for joining us um thank you for having me be sure oh wait 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 we didn't cover oh my goodness the bike and ped update well, we need to yeah. cover that real quick. You're updating the bike and pedestrian master plan. We are. I'm uh, I'm slowly but surely carving out time to get to that because uh, we are firm believers in the city that we do all of our uh, master planning in-house. So we don't hire outside consultants. We think we know our city the best. I think that's fantastic. And I've also heard accolades from uh, Maricopa County Health Department and uh, Maricopa Association of Government for the outreach you've done already on that project, um, trying to include health throughout the plan as opposed to having health as a section. That's very important. So that was I heard that out in the, the, uh, the wild. Uh, 
We're sharing your survey on our Facebook oh, page. Well, thank you. We yes, please that. take the survey. Um, and then uh, there's also the Broadway survey that's coming there out. There's a Broadway survey going out. That's the that's the next big push. We've, we've completed the Fiesta District on Southern. Now council would like to turn its focus to Broadway and, and re-energizing Broadway. And uh, we have a lot of uh, folks that use Broadway uh, as pedestrians and 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 we really, the, the facilities aren't there, so we need to enhance those. It is super dangerous, and there's so many kids walking and riding their bikes along that road. It's kind of crazy, but it's an important connector and the natural connector east and west, mm. more so than university, honestly. Definitely. MAG, uh, Maricopa Association of Government, is also doing their active transportation plan right now, or putting that together somehow, some way. I don't know more about it. You two probably know more. Um, actually, we did hire uh, my uh, mentor, uh, Andy Clark, and uh, Tool Design will be part of the uh, the group that comes into town to build, or to to write the active transportation. That's, ex- that's ex- really exciting. Um, it really sounds like we have the heart in the right place on all of these projects. And was it intentional that it's ATP? It is. All right. Yep. I, I was like, oh. Yes. Oh, it's very exciting. And also big accolades. I heard that sort of like with that bike and ped plan that you're sort of trying to do the health impact assessment light, the easy way of trying to do. We are. What I, what I wanted to do uh, with this update is, is I wanted to incorporate health impact health impact assessments and I wanted to lay the foundation and the framework within the plan so that when we uh, move into different and new projects that that health impact assessment is just a natural part of the design and the planning process. And not $30,000 separate report that no one reads. Right. Um, And that work is cross-departmental. It's not it just is. you. No, it has as much to do with uh, economic development, with land use, with mental health, with uh, social health with, with all your different departments. I, I think that's right. so important because especially in city environments, but in any environment, we tend to have that so-called silo, silo effect mm-hmm. where people just stick to their own knowledge and where real transformation happens is that cross-departmental, that cross-theory, that multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary community angle because real community development doesn't happen in a department somewhere. It happens across the whole thing. So, thank you. Lots of applause. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So make sure you join us next time. We'll be covering pages. Well, we'll be covering pages. uh, Step seven and step eight. Step seven and step eight. Uh, We'll have plant the trees and uh, the whole section on what's it called? Shape the spaces, which is all about borders and edges. So this actually encompasses all of the comfortable walk. So we're realigning our podcast to be a little bit more within the context of the walkable city chapters. Our theme music is written by Philip Buckman, performed by the Sweaty Palm Trees, and produced and recorded by David Wiersch. If the evidence is to be believed, bike lanes, especially separated bike lanes, basically mint cyclists. But beyond that, they also send a message. A bold green stripe down the side of a street, or many streets, tell residents and potential residents that a city supports alternative transportation, healthy lifestyles, and cycling culture and that it welcomes the sort of people who get around on bikes. For the most part, 
Those people are the millennials and creatives who will help a city thrive. For that reason, even if nobody in town even owns a bike, a few snazzy new lanes are probably a good idea, or you can just skip right to the next naked ride and see how that goes. 